Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on the uplifted hand. I want to talk about the uplifted hand. I want to talk about the open hand. I want to talk about how we position ourselves in the very brief amount of time that I have somehow left to do this. In Mark chapter 12, I believe Jesus reinforces the call to worship uh, for every human constitution. That's with our mind, our emotions, our will, our body, and in the spirit. Look at Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, verse 28, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God, you ready? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I want to talk today just briefly. This honoring God and worshiping God is not a pursuit only of the intellect and the mind. We so often have vilified different points of pursuit and we have watered down following Christ to something that we can do solely from a seat somewhere in a quiet place of a library and we can follow him, we think, with reckless abandon from that seat. Without ever changing posture, without ever changing passion, without ever changing anything, we have watered it down to just a sum of knowledge. We come into churches and we get more knowledge. We come into churches and we feed our desire for knowledge. We come into churches and we get more insight and we get more stuff and we learn more rules and we learn how to live better and and we try to do this whole thing just as this intellectual pursuit and we've completely just taking the virtue out of this passage. We don't love God and pursue God with all of our Heart, soul, mind, and strength. How are you pursuing God with your body? We talked about resurrection last week, and I believe wholeheartedly that resurrection will find you. It's not your responsibility to find resurrection. It's resurrection's joy to find you. And resurrection will find you. And resurrection will do a work in your life. The resurrected Christ is in pursuit of you, and he wants to do a work in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is a point when there is a response on our behalf, and it has to do with our mind, has to do with our will, has to do with our emotions, has to do with our body. There should be changes that take place in how we live our life. I don't want to go too far in that path, because I want to talk about just a couple of specific things, but we have to first agree that there's things that we do with our body, stuff in the physical, material world that somehow translates to something that affects the realm of the unseen world. We have to agree on that premise. If we don't believe that any stuff we do with our body, things that we can see, can actually be translated and affect things that we can't see, then we don't even need to talk about what we do with our body, right? But if we believe that, 
Last week we drank grape juice and ate a wafer. If we don't believe that that in some way can connect us to the body and the blood of Christ, then why in the world would we do it? If we don't believe that putting oil on our hands and anointing people with oil and praying over the sick can somehow take oil that has no significant purpose or no uh, divine properties, but we can put it on hands of faith and put it on heads of need and we can see an unseen world invade a seen world and change the reality, then let's don't do it. If we don't believe there's a reason to get on our knees, let's don't get on our knees. If we don't believe that there's things that we can do in this realm of things that are seen that will affect things that are not seen, then let's don't do it. Stop laying hands on people. Stop anointing people with oil. But we don't, if we don't believe this stuff in our pockets, when submitted to an eternal God as an offering has power to change and infect the unseen realm then by all means whatever can I get an amen by all means let's keep it in our pocket right I don't need anybody to manipulate me or con me I don't need to be told I need to build 15 chapels and steeples and all that, if this stuff is not doing something to impact the unseen realm, then let's keep our money in our pockets. We can go out to eat more together. We can do more fun things together maybe. You know, we can do things with our money if it's not a reality. But we know that it is. In 1 Timothy 2, 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I want to specifically get on this lifting up of hands for a little while today. Okay? And let me just go ahead and say, it's not to try to give you guys some teaching on lifting hands. Like The point of this is not that next Sunday more people will be lifting their hands. Like We want a hand lifting church, right? And so we're going to take a whole service today to teach you to lift hands, okay? If I was going to do that, I would have the Tim Hawkins video here, and he would show you all the different fashions that you can lift your hands, okay? You know, carry the TV, right? It's Tim Hawkins. Touchdown, right? I don't know what the fish, the fish was this big, right? And so my dad didn't even like fishing, but this is kind of where he stayed. So I don't know, maybe that's maybe it was something else, you know? But I just want us to be, I just want to use lifting of hands to be a picture of all the expressions that we should be engaging in with our body. In some context. So we're going to use lifting hands today as an example. All right, so he wants us to lift our hands. Um, Now, everybody just writes this off as you guys are Pentecostal. Lifting hands is Pentecostal. Pentecostal, 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 all right? Pentecostal implies to me that we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to uh, recreate one day, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came to do a whole lot more than he did on that one day, right? 
And, and so I don't want, I, I, I'm not Pentecostal. I'm not in pursuit of replicating one day. I don't want every service to look like that one day. I want some services to look like seven chapters later. Right? I want some services to look like the rest of the book of Acts. I don't just want to recreate that one day. Somebody won't like this at all. But I'll go so far as to say that day is lacking to fully express the kingdom of God. That day was a launching point. So if we keep trying to recreate the launching point, then what happened with the midpoint? What happened with the destination? What happened to the seven more layers of glory that we were supposed to be manifesting from the kingdom? And we're stuck trying to recreate the starting gate. It's not Pentecostal. I want to take it all the way back to Old Testament today. In ancient Near Eastern culture, people would raise their hand to engage in an oath and a covenant. Two people would raise their hand and they would put them together and they would come into oath and covenant. Sometimes they may cut their hand. Sometimes they may do other things to, to embolden that covenant. But they would put their hand, they would raise their hand, they'd put it together with another individual and they would enter into oath and covenant. If we look back in, uh, let's see, where I want to go. i got to skip a bunch of my notes, all right? Let's go to Genesis, chapter 14. What can I get in in eight minutes? All right, here we go. Let's see. Let's go to Genesis. Let's skip those three pages, okay? No, I don't want to go to Genesis. Yeah, I do want to go to Genesis. Genesis 14. I forgot that it goes through a page, another page, and then down. So I was getting confused. All right. Genesis 14. <clears throat> then after his return from the defeat of, see this word? I know how to pronounce it, but I really wanted to pronounce it Cheddar Lomer. <laughs> you know, Cheddar Lomer. It's actually ket er lay omer. All right? Ket er lay omer. Ket er lay omer. All right? And then after his, his return from the defeat of ket er lay omer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Saddam, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And, and Melchizedek king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. And the king of Saddam said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Saddam, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, lest you should say... I have made Abram rich. 
Okay, so Abram is telling this king of Sodom that I have sworn, in the King James, Vers king James Version, it actually says, I have lift up my hand to God. And so Abram, on later to be called Abraham, made covenant with God. And so, but can you imagine him in front of these kings saying, I've made a covenant with God. Have you ever seen anybody talk to themselves? Have you ever seen anybody talk to themselves? I bet it looked kind of foolish when Abram is over there making a covenant with God. I mean, can you imagine like almost talking to this wall? And you're like, what is Abram doing? But he was making a covenant with God. The only thing is, we could not see what God was doing in that covenant. In Daniel chapter 12, I heard the, uh, verse 7, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. So you can see in the book of Daniel, he most clearly associates the lifting of hand as a covenant. The lifting of hand as an oath. But to make an oath, it has to be between two people. So when we see what Abram says, he says, I made a covenant with God. I did all this stuff. He made these promises to me. He told me I'd be the ruler of many nations. He told me it would be like the stars in the sky. He told me he would take us into a land that he's promised us. He told us all that stuff. But if you only see it through the natural realm, all you'll see is Abram raising his hand. And if you only see church through a natural realm, you'll, you'll, you'll associate lifting hands with a certain group of people who are charismatic or Pentecostal. But if you believe that what we do in the natural can transcend another realm of the unseen, then we can start to see things a little bit differently. So if you go to a church and a body of people and you see them all lifting their hands, just maybe if you could see things rightly, you'd see God stretching out His hand and you'd see people entering into oath and covenant with a God who's powerful and can do everything that He promises He can do. And in worship, when we're making declaration of who he is, you see them lift their hand and say, God, I declare that you are who you say you are. And he's on the other side. If you can see in the spirit, and he's saying, I am who I say I am. I want to enter into oath and covenant with him. Four hundred years later, in Exodus chapter six, my goodness. Here, hold this for me. Exodus chapter six. It's up there, it's on my computer, it don't matter. Exodus chapter six, verse one. Let's look at the other side of the story. Let's try to get some proof of that God was not just looking at Abram by himself in that moment. In, Abram, in Exodus chapter 6, then the Lord said to Moses, who's talking? <laughs> the guy who Abram said he made a covenant with. 
Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he shall let them go, and under compulsion he shall drive them out of his land. Verse 2, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Verse 3, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Couldn't even see him. Just by faith, believe he's there. And I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. So God, we see four years later, look in verse 5, And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Verse 7, Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God tells his side of the story. And now we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. All we knew to begin with is, man, here's Abraham out in the middle of the desert wilderness saying he made a covenant with God? What? Then 400 years later, the God who sent 10 plagues to Egypt and hard the heart of Pharaoh said, yeah, that was me. I am the Lord he spoke of. I was the one on the other end of that covenant. Anybody else want to stick up your hand? Anybody else want to get in with me? Because I'm still making covenants. I still got some time. I still got some resources. I still got some availability. Here's something some of you need to know. God led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Not because of their deeds. Not because of how good they were. He didn't say, oh man, they're so perfect. I need to fix all their problems in life. God will move on my behalf if I get my life more together. If I get things worked out a little bit better, then I could possibly have a little bit of hope. Jahan keeps singing that song, Get Your Hopes Up. But she doesn't know I don't have any reason to have hope because I'm not perfect. If only the perfect people sang, it'd be, sang, it'd be quiet in here, wouldn't it? <laughs> My dear wife would be the only one singing in this whole place. And if I tried to start singing, she would give me permission to stop. <laughs> if 
He wasn't responding to how well they were behaving. He was responding to the covenant he made. Some of y'all made some covenants with God and you think he's forgot it because you've made too many bad choices. He's like, I didn't forget my covenant. I didn't change my mind. I'm still here. I'm still here and I'm still the Lord and I still mean what I said. And I will still do it and see it come to pass. There's another 400 years that passes. It's the intertestamental period. Another 400 years of bondage, okay? Not just 400 years, but another 400 years of bondage between these events. It's the intertestamental period. Look at Luke 1, 68 through 75. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath, verse 73, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us what we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, all our days. Yes. Amen. <laughs> God is still responding. God is still moving yes. based on the covenant he made with Abraham. Yes. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying we're the new Israel and all that stuff? I'm saying... 1 Peter 2 says, we weren't a people, but now we are a people. We have been engrafted in. We've been brought into the covenant people, right? And we're part of a new covenant. If you just are worried about that old covenant, let me tell you, the covenant got intensif intensified. See, in case anybody was wondering who Abraham was making a covenant with in the wilderness and all those things, God said, I'm going to send my son so there'll be no question what my intentions for mankind are we're going to leave heaven and we're going to show you how this is done and we're going to fix this right yeah. see God told Moses I remember my covenant and my people cry out so I must honor my covenant and lead them out. Yeah. And can you just see Jesus sitting by the Father and him saying, Son, remember my covenant I made and these people are crying out and they're in bondage. I must honor my covenant. Will you go? Dad, we will honor our covenant and I will go on your behalf and I will go down and I will be the hand that's uplifted from our ram and I'll enter the other ram and I'll say whosoever will would come and extend your hand to my hand we will enter into covenant together and you'll be free from all bondage and all oppression 
Not only did he say that, not only did he think equality with God not something to be grasped or hung on to or clung to, but he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. And I don't know if anybody else realizes it or not, but God sent his son to live a perfect life, to show us the way to live, to show us the heart of the Father, to show us how serious he is about covenant. And just in case... There was any strength lacking in the last moments of Jesus' life. He orchestrated it in a way. And God himself had his son's hands nailed in an upright fashion to a cross to say, forever I'm in covenant with earth and humanity and I extend grace and mercy unto them and whoever will come. Jesus' last words, why his hands were nailed into place. It is finished. The covenant has been confirmed and established, and it now stands throughout eternity. Nailed his hands in place. So what do we do in the battle when we're struggling and we don't see a way out? We do like Moses. We get a rock. We get some fellow believers. And we say, help me hold my hands. I know that God has made a covenant with me. I know he sent his son to establish and reaffirm that covenant. And everything in my world looks like it's not going to come to pass. I have no strength remaining in me. Will somebody help me hold up my hands? Will somebody help me encourage myself in the Lord? Will somebody help me stand in faith? Do you have to go to church? Do you get to go to church where there's a plethora of people who will help you hold up your hands? Do you get to go to church where there'll be people highly skilled and highly gifted who will give of themselves with great preparation to lead you and to provoke you in a time of worship to where it's harder for you to not lift your hand than it is to lift your hand. And they'll put you in a place that will make you all but jump in wholeheartedly and receive the covenant and the fullness of the kingdom. You have to reject it violently almost to resist coming in to covenant with God in an atmosphere like this. <laughs> Every time. Can you just imagine? Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. I, I am hurrying still. I know. I threw my watch off, but I am hurrying. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which was none of the rulers of this age, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Look at this. 
For if they had, had, if they had understood it, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. If the principalities and powers and rulers of the age had understood, they definitely would have never nailed his hands to a cross. <laughs> so that even when his lungs began to fail and he could no longer endure the pressing up of his feet to expand his lungs, one thing that never faded, one thing that could never fail was the position of his hands in an upright place. And if they had known that, they would have found another way to kill him. But God uses the ignorance of the wicked <laughs> to fulfill his plans for the promise. Colossians 2, 13 and 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees, decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it, taken, sorry, it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is God triumphing over them through him, Jesus. Can you just imagine the first covenant he ever made with Abraham? And then he sends his son down there, and they're laughing, and they're mocking, and they're ridiculing him. And God's like, y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know what's going on right now. There's going to be a man. There's going to be a woman in 2019 sitting at 8109 Sharp Road. And they think their life is in shambles. And they think that there's no hope for them. And you think there's no hope for my son right now. But we know what's really going on. And they think there's no hope for them. But we know what's really going on. And right now in a situation that seems hopeless, he's actually securing hope for anyone that will ever think they're in a hopeless situation from now to the end of time and that's what's really going on in the realm that we can't see when we obey in the realm that we have control in I gotta close Did you notice in that first passage we read from Genesis? Just want to throw this in there. It's the first place we see Abraham enter into covenant. Talk about entering into covenant with God. Lifting his hand. It's also the first place we see where he released a tenth to Melchizedek. I know we don't want to talk about that, but... We love talking about the hands being up, didn't we? I would go so far as to say his hands were not only nailed up, but they were nailed open. Up and open. In Genesis, when we see Abraham make this covenant, 
His hands were up and his hands were open. These are powerful things, tools that are in our ability, in our wheelhouse to affect a realm that we can't even see. A hand that's up and a hand that's open. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, Marshall Cornelius. No. <laughs> a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Don't that sound something bad? <laughs> the Italian cohort. <laughs> I'm a part of the Italian cohort. I think my dad was a part of the Italian cohort, wasn't he, or something? One of them cohorts. He's a part of some cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people. Stay with me. And prayed to God continually. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in to him and said to him, Cornelius, exclamation mark. Verse 4, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before the Lord. <laughs> Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before the Lord. You know what a memorial is? It's a reminder. Your giving gets out God's iPhone and sets a reminder. Michael has been faithful in giving. And we see God, when it comes time to make a move on Israel's behalf while they're in Egyptian bondage, what does he say? I remember the covenant I made. Our giving sets up a memorial before God. And he moves on our behalf when he remembers our covenant. Obviously, he doesn't forget. He doesn't need your help. But it's so powerful. What we have, the weapons, the tools we have at our disposal. I think it's crazy in closing... That we, and I know why certain traditions get a bad name. Because they try to duplicate that one day in Acts chapter 2 over and over again. And people get tired of that day. Like Groundhog Day. If your church looks like Groundhog Day, let me help you. There's a whole lot more to the story. Can we move on to the next day and see what God could do? Could we get out of the floor one Sunday and live different? Could we stop our laps around the sanctuary one day and go out and affect our city? 
so people get tired of it. But we get, everything gets clumped together, right? Everything always gets clumped together. And so, yeah, there's things that are frustrating and irritating and repetitive and ridiculous, right? But if we're not careful, we clump all those things together. And we rob ourselves and we surrender so many of the keys that are what make binding what's in heaven yeah. binding on earth. Yeah. And we lose, we lose some of the keys that make what's loosed in heaven loosed on earth because we just say, well, that's all that. Let me flip it on the other side of that. I had a student in our first youth group. and We were a Pentecostal church, and he had a best friend who was, did not attend a Pentecostal church, attended a Baptist church. And they made a deal one summer, let's go to each other's church camps. And, of course, me and my absolute traditionalism thought, that's awesome, we'll get him straightened out. <laughs> He's going to get wrecked. And he goes with us to camp, and he thoroughly enjoys the camp. He thoroughly enjoys the eight-hour services and the zero Bible reading throughout the day. <laughs> he really does experience the Holy Spirit, who somehow looks over sometimes our foolishness and still genuinely encounters us in our excessive things at times, right? So he encountered him. And then our student went with him, and I thought, Lord, we need to pray for him. Because he's going to come back denying his faith. He's going to come back watered down. And he goes with him. And, and, the, and the boy that had gone with us said, man, I love it. He goes, but like, I was just so looking forward to growing in my understanding of Scripture. Because at our camp, we spend hours a day studying, learning. And so our student whipped him with his camp, and he came back, and he's like, man, those services were so dead and dry. But I learned so much in the times when they had us study the Word. So we put everybody in one group, and we put everybody in one group, and we go around deficient because we've relegated half the tools we need to some sect that we say is not for us. Why can't we just love God and ask Him to reveal Himself to us and give us everything we need to impact the world around us and live a full life that's full of love and joy and peace and all that He has for us instead of trying to decide which team we're on. Which sect we're in, which, which things are right and which things are wrong. I just want to sit the whole lot of them down and give them the talk God gave to Job. I'm sorry, I forgot you were there when God made all this up. And you've got a perfect understanding of exactly how it all is supposed to look. I'm sorry, come up here and tell us all. And they will. 
whole conferences telling you how wrong this sect is, and then a whole conference over here telling you how wrong that sect is. Why do we feel so preoccupied with telling everybody how wrong they are? I thought we were just supposed to tell everybody how right he is. I didn't know that's what we were supposed to be doing is telling everybody how wrong they are. So we throw some of these things out. I want a Baptist hunger for the word and a Pentecostal knowledge of laying on of hands. Ironically, if we get desperate enough, we'll go to the other people. My dad's told many stories, and now I've experienced it myself as a chaplain that works with many different chaplains of many different doctrines. When there's someone who they absolutely realize has a spiritual oppressive problem, like the demoniac in the tombs, they'll say, hey, I know you guys believe in this stuff. Will you pray for this guy? And I've always just said, if, they, if there's something genuine to believe in, why in the world wouldn't you believe in it? I understand if you think it's not real, but if you think it's real and it can be something someone can possess, why in the world would you deny yourself of it? I don't know. We got to go. Giving is so powerful. Let me ask a question. How many people came here today expecting to receive something? Well, seriously, I want you to raise your hand. I had this thought one day. All right? I mean, you were, like, committed to it. I'm going to go and receive something today. I won't ask you to raise your hands for this, but how many people literally got up this morning and thought, I can't wait to get church to church today because I'm going to give something? But oath and covenant is a two-sided agreement. You can't buy it and none of that. I'm just saying, what do you want him to do? He fixed his there forever. It's up to us. The ball's in our court every day now. He said, it's finished. Anytime you want to, you can come right on up here and put your hand here. By faith. I was talking to Jahan this week and we were just talking about all the things that are in our heart to do. A friend of mine sat down one day with someone. They asked him to go to breakfast and they said, tell us your vision. And he told them their vision. And every time he told them part of that vision, they wrote down. And, he, and then they said, how much does that cost? And he write down, they'd write down a number. They kept telling the vision, church in this country, you have ministry in this country, this, 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 this. That total came to like four and a half million dollars on a total of all the vision. Those people wrote a check that day for four and a half million dollars and said, do it. I don't care how God does it. 
but I know he's got it. And I know he didn't give us vision without provision. Genuinely, if just the people. It's really cool. I was kind of worried about guests. We got one today, so you don't have to listen to this part about giving since you're a guest today. And I thought, I don't want to talk about giving at all today because we got guests here. So just put your, put your iPod or something in there. You know, don't lift it. Yeah. I believe with all my heart that if we got a revelation of giving and generosity, that every vision God has given us could be funded by people sitting in this room. And not only that, I'm not saying everybody sell your houses, buy a pinto, and give us all your money. I think every vision can be funded while you increase and have more than you have now. But first, you got to open your hands. You can't get God's open hand with your closed hand. He's like, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to make covenant. Yeah, God, come on, give me, give me a dab. <laughs> you know? He's like, this covenant can only be done one way. I went through a whole lot to establish this covenant one way. That's how we did it. Covenant has to be agreed upon mutually. That's how he did it. How can we enter into a covenant with a God who gave everything when we're not willing, we're incompatible. It's like the divorce papers read, in, 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 irreconcilable differences. We got different ideas about what covenant means. I genuinely, genuinely meant to do this right after we announced the guys, and this is not... And now I've debated, do I just do it? Do I obey and do it now? Or do I worry about people thinking I tried to manipulate them with a sermon and then get them their money? I meant to, right after we announced the guys, take a second offering today for the ministry. God knows my heart. That was my intention. And I forgot. But maybe you did need to hear this. Maybe I forgot on purpose. Maybe I forgot, but God didn't forget. Our guys work three days a week, they serve one day a week, and they rest three days a week. But we got to take care of all their housing, all their food, all their everything. And it's no problem. We got seed in the ground, and I know harvest will keep coming as we need it. When we need a bed, somebody buys a bed. When we need a house, somebody buys a house. When we need money from a house, somebody sells a house. When we need a van, somebody gets a new truck. When we need things, God moves. 
you know what, I don't care if we ever get a big check. It's kind of fun this way. But we are the body. And it's our responsibility to fund the vision. He uses us to do it. Collectively. See, we enter into covenant with him. He gives us increase. But we are supposed to carry, fund the vision. And so I'm going to give you a chance today. That's going to be our response today. Let me, let, me, let me make one more disclaimer like I always like to do, just in case anybody wants to put me in a religious column. John 4, 19 through 24. The woman said, you must be a prophet. She told Jesus this after Jesus said to her, um, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. She's smart, ain't she? You must be a prophet. Duh. <laughs> she says, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship? Which is right. Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it is from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. So now that I've preached a whole sermon about uplifted hand and open hand, let me tell you, it don't, it's not about lifting your hand. It's about lifting your hand and your heart. Now, as James says, there's only so long you can tell me your heart's lifted and I never see anything on the outside. Then I say, your faith is dead. Right? But it's not about how you worship. It's not about whether you give money here. It's not about whether I think you're a big spender in the kingdom. It's not about any of that. Unless that's what God puts on your heart. But the covenant demands, if there's going to be a covenant, it takes two. And he has entered into an eternal covenant with anyone, anyone, whosoever will. All those who are weary and heavy laden, I was too. That's why I nailed my hand. Come to me and find rest. Prayer team, will you come? We're going to do this different today. Will y'all just get like one bucket in the, two buckets in the middle and two buckets in the middle. That's it. If you want a text to give to this, you can say house. Text them, put an amount, and then put house beside it. It's just house. John said it's just house. Just house. That's those of you that need to open your hand. Did we get the buckets? Just give me two buckets. Y'all give it a little. Oh, you put it in the floor? Okay, that's fine. So all the way in the floor. That's fine. Yeah, put it between y'all right here. Y'all give a little gap. There you go.
Okay, just get out of the way, totally. <laughs> I thought we might need two buckets because I think y'all might fill one up. I don't know what you need to do today. I think everybody can open their hand. Everybody. I think everybody needs to open their hand. How much greater can you align yourself with the kingdom of God when he did all that to open his hand for these eight men going through this program? How could you ever be any more aligned with the kingdom than to open your hand with his and say, I'm in covenant with you, God, to do this and work. This is a work van for the guys. If there's a kid in this room that don't have a dollar to give, ask an adult. Come ask me. Everybody open your hand today and release. And prayer team, I want you to do this with me today. I want you to lift your hand. If anybody wants to come up and lift their hand, and they need rest, they need to partake of everything that God provided for them on the cross, I want you to come find a prayer team. You Open your hand and then lift your hand. Come find somebody to just agree with you in prayer for whatever situation, whatever circumstance in your life that needs to be impacted by the covenant you made with God. We want to come into covenant and agreement in prayer with you today. Go ahead, Nolan. Prayer team is here. Just find someone to agree with you. Find someone to agree with you. I'm opening my hand today, and I'm lifting my hand. I just want agreement. I just want agreement. I want agreement. I want everything that Christ's hands were nailed to a cross for me to possess. And today I come and just lift my hands in full surrender and in full commitment and in full covenant. I want to be a partaker of everything he secured for me. Yes. 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 If you're done praying or you're done giving, we love you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you Wednesday if you can come. If not, we'll see you next week. Be blessed. Keep your hand open. Keep your heart lifted. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 